Pastor Dave Mitchell again, and uh, it's good to be back. I haven't uh, actually been up here preaching for some time, and so I'm trying to remember, what am I supposed to do? And so uh, I forgot something. I had to run back and get it. Listen, good to be with you. We're continuing a series in the book of Romans. It's called Live Free, the series, Live Free. We've actually been in the book of Romans for some weeks now, and the first 11 chapters was topically driven, thematically, with the title of being set free. We're set free by Jesus Christ free to live for Him, free to be serving Him in all the ways that He's called us. And now, Romans 12 to the end of the book is all about living free. It's very practical. It drives us to the specific things that we should do in light of what God has done for us this morning. And this morning, we're going to be talking about living with authentic faith, the kind of, I mean, authentic love, the kind of love that God has for us. He invites us into that as well in this chapter. And there's an outline that's in the bulletin for you. I encourage you to take a look at that. It'll help you follow along. It'll help you stay in tune. It's sort of a roadmap for the conversation for the next 30 minutes. And I think that you'll find it of some benefit on the back side. We always include what we call the digging deeper. There will be additional things that you can use there for your own personal time, spending time with the Lord individually, because one meal a week is not enough to live a fruitful and healthy spiritual life. No one eats one meal a week physically, and so we need more than one meal spiritually as well to be fed for the Lord. Now, authentic love. I'd like for you to think for just a moment before I read the text. Think in your mind's eye, if you will, and this will bring up maybe some bad memories for some of us, but think in your mind's eye of the person, maybe of the people that you can think of that has been one of the most difficult persons for you to love. Who is someone, the people, or at least one person that has been one of the most difficult persons for you to love? Excluding your spouse right now. Uh, no matter what happened this morning, right? But as you think back, might have been a boss, friend in college, could have been someone that you thought was uh, uh, a good supporter, and it was betrayal or loss, cheating, abuse. You think in your mind's eye of who that might be. I remember one Sunday here uh, some weeks ago, and I was sitting right over here in the regular seat that I sit in, and a guy came up here and just bawled me out two minutes before the service began. Uh, that came to my mind this last week as I was thinking about that. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting for all of us to think about people like that, that we find very difficult to love? And, uh, and yet, as you read this passage, I'd like for you to keep those people in mind because... I don't know that God has to preach to us a lot to love people that are easy to love. That sort of happens. That sort of naturally comes out of those of us who are followers of Jesus. We love to love people who are easy to love. For example, and this is just to turn it to a very crass way, uh, our dog, she, she's so easy to love. Because all she does is just sit there and wag her tail, and you walk up, she wags her tail. And she just is so cooperative and just sort of wants to do everything that she can to make us happy. Every time you walk in the door, she's there. She's so happy to see us. She, she couldn't be happier than to see us. You know, it's like, Joy doesn't do that. <laughs> but, but we've got, she has other ways to express her, her love. You're, you're happy when I get home, right? She just doesn't wag her tail. That's the thing. That's the difference. So we got those kind of scenarios playing out. 
where we got those individuals that are so easy to love. Well, don't, let's not focus on them for a moment. Let's take those that God challenges us to love because they're hard to love. They've done something painful to us in the past. And let's think about them. Now, let me read the text. The text is very easy. Uh, I'm going to read this. And I suspect that there's not a line in this whole passage that we don't understand. So let me read it. Romans chapter 12 is where we are. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. And I'm going to go down to verse 16. So Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil or hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And next week we'll deal with verses 17 through 21, which is one of the most challenging things of how to overcome anger against those that I don't want to forgive. So that's the passage, 9 through 16. And as I read that, it makes sense to me. I think it'll make sense to most of us. And frankly, we could wrap it all up by me just saying right now, let's just go do that. Let's just go do those things that he just listed there. But you don't pay me to say, let's just go do that. Uh, There needs to be more to it. So let me outline as I see what I think Paul is trying to communicate to us. And the first is this that I think he begins by giving to us standards of love. The standard of love, I think, is in verse 9. That standard is let love be without hypocrisy. In authentic love, I put on the outline, authentic love, we sincerely love what is right and hate what is wrong. The word hypocrisy could also be translated sincerely. Now, we know hypocrisy is where you say one thing on the outside but something else on the inside. But what he's really focusing on is that there is insincerity to that love. It's genuine. It's not fake. I'm not putting it on. I'm not just pretending to love you. I'm actually loving you. And the standard that he gives to us is this. Here's what we're running into. Some of us are running into this even today. Well, we've got family or friends who are behaving in ways that we think are inconsistent with the righteousness of God. And now we are the targets of those who would say that when we point out what they're doing as wrong that we're now accused of hate speech. That's kind of where we are today. So it's interesting to me that here is Paul writing 2,000 years ago addressing that issue. So what is the standard of love? The standard of love is that I have a sincerity of love towards you, but it doesn't negate the fact that there are some things that are evil, but it also means that there are some things that are good, that I'm going to hate what is evil, but I'm going to love what is good. 
I'm going to love a person. Think of that person in your mind's eye that you just thought about that is very, very difficult to love. And that person that is very difficult to love may be someone who is practicing behavior that is evil. Well, that means, therefore, I don't have to give in if I'm going to love them by saying that what you do is okay. If I love them and they're doing what is evil, I don't have to be tolerant to the degree that it doesn't matter what you're doing that is wrong. What the Apostle Paul is saying, don't don't negate the standards. There are things that I hate, and they are evil things that people do. I hate them, God says. And so therefore, I'm going to hate them. It doesn't mean we are hateful towards the person, but I hate the things that happens. God is a God who gives to us things that He hates. Let me just read some of the passages where God speaks to that. In Psalm 97.10, He says, Hate evil, you who love the Lord who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. In Psalm 119, 104, From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Psalm 119, 128, Therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything, and I hate every false way. I hate and despise falsehood. I love your law. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. This is God's hate speech. It says in Proverbs 13.5, a righteous man hates falsehood, but a wicked man acts disgustingly and shamefully. Proverbs 28.16, a leader who is a great oppressor lacks understanding, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his life. And then in Proverbs 6, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are abomination to Him, the writer's Proverbs says. Haughty eyes I hate, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. Hang on to that in just a moment. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who who utters lies, and the one who spreads strife among brothers. God says, I hate those things. So to love someone is not to say that it doesn't matter, that's okay, we can still get along, it's no big deal, don't worry about it, I'll never bring it up, I'm not bothered by it. No. If there is evil, we hate evil. Take you back a few weeks ago when I talked about some of these things, and it relates to homosexuality. That you and I need to be able to engage with people in a loving way without endorsing the behavior that is evil. And so you and I need to live by that standard. The standard of love is that I love sincerely, not hypocritically. But it doesn't mean that I still don't hate the evil. And somehow I need to communicate that. But I need to communicate that in a sincere love. And that's the challenge. God asks us to walk in discernment and wisdom. Because sometimes you and I who have sort of this faith-based And we have these scriptures and we have these standards of righteousness that we have not compromised on, even as the world changes about that and calls us bigots. You and I sometimes, we have a tendency to portray our attitude towards those that are evil or doing evil things. We have a tendency to come across as judgmental and self-righteous. And God's asking you and me to have a sincere love but still hate the evil, but cling to what is good. And that's a balancing act, and we don't always get it right. 
but it's delicate and difficult. This last week, speaking of the standards of righteousness, just this last week I came across this article about a, uh, a doctor who performs abortions. His name is Willie Parker. It was written up in a very left-wing publication called Think Progress. And this is the distortion that you and I are battling with, just to illustrate this, that we have authentic love for people, but we hate what is evil. Even as God says in Proverbs 6, I hate those who take or shed innocent blood. The abortion issue is still before us. Well, Dr. William Parker goes to places like uh, from Chicago to Mississippi to perform abortions, including late-term abortions, which are abortions in the eighth and ninth month that can be described as nothing but a holocaust of total brutality. But that he does that and that we have politicians in Washington, D.C. who support this takes us all the way back to the holocaust of slaughtering six million Jews. It's that evil. Well, this is the distortion of the mindset that goes on today. Performing abortions, Dr. Parker claims. This is what Dr. Parker claims in, in killing unborn eight- and nine-month-old babies. He says, I, be, uh, I claims became this conviction of compassion in a spiritual sense of the deepest level of love that you can have for another person, that you can have compassion for their suffering, and you can act to relieve it. Compassion for the suffering of a woman with a nine-month baby in her womb is to relieve her of that suffering by taking the life of that eight- or nine-month-old child. That's the distortion. That's the ultimate distortion that shows what the capacity of our minds are, that we can so rationalize and distort biblical truth. And he even quotes Dr. Martin Luther King, he insists that he was inspired by a sermon on the Good Samaritan by Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And uh, that as Dr. King would preach on the Good Samaritan to help those in need, he thinks he's doing a loving thing by taking the lives of unborn children. Now, this isn't an abortion message, but it is a standard reminder that God has called us to love people, including the unmarried and pregnant mom that doesn't want this baby but to come alongside and have sincere love although we hate the evil we will cling to what is good and that's why over at the heritage building we're dedicating square footage and placement for babies and moms who need that kind of support so God calls us to that God calls us to the standard that you see on the screen sincere love but I need to discern between that which is evil and good and hate the evil, cling to the good. Then the motive for our love is this. How do I love someone who is so difficult to love? How do I take that person that's in my mind's eye, that person that may has abused or, or betrayed or harmed me in some pain from my past that they still have created that still comes up in my memory bank and still has a way of even distorting my emotional stability of today? How do I love someone like that? What is the motive behind that? We see in the verse, next verse 11, it says, Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in love, in spirit, serving the Lord. Authentic love, we serve the Lord by properly loving one another. The motive behind loving people who are difficult to love, the motive is that I'm doing this not because it feels right. I'm doing this not because it might change them. 
I'm doing this because I'm serving the Lord and doing this. My mindset is that I don't want to do it, but I want to be sincere in doing it. My mindset is that I'm called to do it, as Jesus did it, and so therefore I'm doing this out of service for my Lord, and that's the simple message of it. Because I don't want to do it, but serving the Lord makes me have to do it. And so there's this sort of this compulsion. I'm here to serve the Lord. Let me give you a good illustration of that. I just reading this last week. Mother Teresa, who is, of course, no longer with us, I read an interview with her just this last week by Malcolm Muckeridge, who was sort of the Tom Brokaw of the day when he was there in Great Britain uh, as the news broadcaster. Malcolm Muckeridge came to faith in Jesus Christ, and he interviewed uh, Mother Teresa. How can she serve in this shanty town? of such a terrible conditions as this. How does she love these people that have so little and have life that is at its lowest socioeconomic standard? How do you love those people? He, she, he said, do you do this every day? He began that interview. And she said, oh yes, it's my mission. This is Lee's words. It is how I serve and love the Lord. I go to these people that most people don't want to love. I go there because it is my mission in how I serve and love the Lord. That's where her motive was. How long you been doing this? How many months? Months, she says. Not months, but years. Eighteen years I've been going to this place. Eighteen years, exclaimed Muggeridge. You've been working here in the streets for eighteen years? And she said, yes, it is my privilege to be here. These are my people. These are the ones my Lord has given me to love. Do you ever get tired, he said? Do you ever feel like quitting and letting someone else take over your ministry? After all, you're beginning to get older. Oh, no, she replied. This is where the Lord wants me. This is where I'm happy to be. I feel young when I'm here. The Lord is so good to me. How privileged I am to serve Him. Paul the Apostle says, to love sincerely, hate evil, but cling to good, to those that are difficult to love, remember, I'm there to serve the Lord. And it may be your boss, it may be your neighbor, it may be uh, someone in the sports team, it may be the golfing partner, it may be a former spouse, it may be a parent, it may be a child. The standard that God has given to us has not changed. I love them sincerely. And the motive for loving them? I'm here for the Lord's sake. And if God calls me to that, how can I do anything less than that? I love this quote that I came found with Mother Teresa where she has once said, The fruit of faith is love, and the fruit of love is service. And if you and I are going to live to the standards that God has given to us, to live free, to live freely, then we have a motive that says, I'm going to serve the Lord in doing what is so hard for me to do. And sometimes you even have to ask the Lord, give me the desire to do what I don't want to do naturally. And here are some of the things that he sort of lists these things. The way that I offer this service to the Lord is that I, have a, I offer a tender affection to others. Going back to the text, it says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's the idea. I sort of paraphrase that. Being devoted to one another in brotherly love in verse 10 can be translated, I offer a tender affection to others. 
There's a tenderness and a sweetness to it. Even as I cling to what is good, but I hate what is evil, there is still a tender affection to it. Then also I take lead in showing preference to one another. I don't lag behind. The idea of preference is to go before, to lead out. I take the initiative. That's what he says here in verse 10. Give preference to one another, to honor them before yourself. It's what Paul says in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Regarding others as more important than me? How can we in a narcissistic society ever live by that standard? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. If I'm here to serve the Lord, then I'm here to serve the Lord in the way the Lord served us. How did He do that? He put you and me ahead of everyone else. When He went to the cross, He died in my place. He says, Dave, you're number one in my book. So I'm here to serve you. In humility, He came and served me on that cross. So now He says, I want you to love others by giving preference to them. To lead by initiative a standard of love that's sincere. Take the lead in that. Then he also says, I want you to love with enthusiasm and diligence in verse 11. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit. Diligence and fervency. The idea of one of those words is enthusiasm and diligence. That I have an enthusiasm. Here's what's going to happen. When I try to love certain people that are hard to love, I'm not going to get a response. It's not going to be like a little Scotty dog that is so thrilled every time I come home. They're not going to be there wagging their tail and so happy and couldn't believe that I finally came home, how wonderful it is to be a dog in the Mitchell home because they're so thrilled when somebody like me walks through the door. I don't do a lot except feed and bathe and well, I, don't, I don't even bathe her, but uh, uh, give her water. And yet she's just thrilled. She's thrilled. You know, there's a lot of people that are never thrilled when we're around them. There's a lot of people that are difficult to love that have an attitude that is harsh and abrasive. And I love them, I love them, I love them, and, and I don't get anything back. There's no tail that's wagging. There's no sense of response that is pleasing, that it's finally having benefit, that there's some fruit coming out of this. There's some benefit to me by loving them. There is no return on the investment of my love. And we get to the point where we say, well, what's the use? I might as well move on. That's what we will do. We will, we will back away from it. We won't continue on. But that's why the Apostle Paul puts to us this verse in verse 11. Not lagging behind the diligence, fervent in spirit. In other words, I don't want you to lose the standard of continuously loving someone when there's no tail that's wagging. Keep loving them anyways. That's why he says that. I love with enthusiasm and diligence. There's persistence to it. First Peter says this, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love, not a hypocritical love. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. When the Word of God purifies my soul, I have a fervency of spirit. I have a fervency of love. There is a sincerity that is fervently causing that love to continue on. That's why we encourage us to have more than one meal a week in the Word of God. That means this is one of those meals. This is the feast. But we need to have a meal where we purify our soul every day because if my soul isn't being spiritually fed, then I'm going to lack fervency in my love. Because the 
purification of my soul through the word gives me a fervency of love to those that are hard to love. And so I encourage you. In fact, I would encourage you on the back side of the outline. I did a little study from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it listed 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 as the chapter on love. If you ever ask, what's the biggest chapter on love in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 13 is that chapter. Well, I listed on the left-hand side all those things the Apostle Paul lists for us. If you wanted to take time this week to read for, through 1 Corinthians 13, these are just three of the verses that are in chapter 13. But he lists all the things. Love is, love is, love is. Love is patient, kind, jealous, etc. But then I put on the opposite side that is not in the Bible, but I sort of took what the word means, love is, and said the opposite of what that love is not. I do not love if I seek revenge and be angry. I love if I am kind, but I do not love if I am not willing to be helpful and I am selfish. If I love, I will be never jealous of them. But if I do not love, I wish others wouldn't do so well. In fact, it's a little disappointing when someone does better than me. If I love, I am never bragging about what I've done. But if I do not love, I believe my thoughts and deeds are frankly more important than yours. And so you can see you go down the list. That's part of the purifying of the soul. God, keep reminding me of what are those standards? What are those behaviors of what love really looks like? Because love is such a big, broad term, and, and we can't really put it down to the pieces of action. Well, here are action steps of patience and kindness and no jealousy, not bragging, not arrogant. And opposed to that are these other things. If I'm doing these other things on the second list, on the other hand, therefore I am not loving. And so, God, purify my soul. Take your word and let it have its way in my heart so that I never lack enthusiasm and fervency of love. Because I'm going to lack that. Because I'm going to get so tired of trying to love that boss that never loves me back and never treats me fairly and is pretty unjust and I'm not always pleased by his standard of his behavior. But, God, you've called me to serve you by loving him. So keep me enthusiastically fervent in my love. Then he also says this, I will joyfully maintain hope for others in verse 12, rejoicing in hope. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to pale in terms of my depression and this discouragement that I'm going to keep pursuing that. He also says, I persevere for others when even in distress. As we see here, persevering in tribulation. The word tribulation there in verse 12 I put it as the word distress. The idea is distress. Tribulation there in that word means to be pressed in all around, to be squeezed. Jesus was squeezed by the crowds. That's distress. Where I feel like there's constant pressure on me to somehow get through this situation. And so therefore I'm going to persevere. If I love someone sincerely and I'm serving the Lord as my motive, then I'm going to continue even in distress expressing 1 Corinthians 13 qualities of patience and kindness, not jealousy, not bragging. That's the standard. Because 2 Corinthians 1, 4, one of the reasons why we have distress, who comforts us in all of our affliction, our tribulation, our distress, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in distress with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The reason God calls us to love others in our distress so that when we learn something in my distressful situation, I take that and I give it to someone else. I went through that. I know how that feels. That's a hard thing to deal with. 
Now let me share with you maybe some things that I have learned, but I'm willing to listen to what you are struggling with as well. That's the kind of love that God calls us to. For those who are willing to hear that, He takes our distress and uses that to bless others. That's what He calls us, persevering in tribulation. And then finally, devoted to one another in love. That's the last of this long list of the qualities of love. I will continue to pray for you until uh, God takes me home or takes you home. I'm never going to stop. I love this little message of Samuel. Samuel is this wonderful prophet slash judge of the Old Testament. The people of Israel are sort of quarreling and complaining. They don't have a king. They're sort of hiring King Saul right now. And they're not always walking with the Lord, but I love Samuel's heart. He says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and the right way. And here's the challenge of that. Man, I'm not going to sin by stopping praying for you. You ever feel like your prayers are never answered? We get so many prayers each week from you on your cards that you fill out the card. And often, um, and I mean this nicely, we get from some of you every single week the same list of names. Every single week, the same desire for a job. Every single week, a child that's away from the Lord and needs the Lord. And some of you are so faithful in listing those prayer requests. And some of you, you use three cards and you write, we saw this just last Tuesday, I had one prayer request that had three cards and it was in the entire front and back, front and back, front and back of three cards of listing people that need Jesus. And we pray for those regularly. Occasionally we'll get, praise the Lord, it's been answered. But most of the time we're still praying for the same thing every single week. Sometimes some of us are praying for the same thing every single day. You think, God, are you getting weary of my same prayer requests every day? And then I come back to a verse like this one on the screen. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. When I love someone and I hate their behavior that's evil, but I'm going to cling to what is good, but I'm serving the Lord, I don't stop praying for them. Every day, I bring them to God. Every day, God change them. Every day, help me love them. Every day, give me freedom to be Christ to them. Every day, we pray that. When my soul is being purified with the Lord's word, he constantly gives me a fervency of love. I don't quit. That's the standard that God calls us to. Those are the motives that God calls us to. And the demonstration of that love sometimes is very real. In authentic love, we care for the needs of others. Notice in verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. is a challenge to us that God says, Here, here's a very specific way that we do this. You contribute to the needs of the saints. And this word hospitality, some of you may know this, uh, we get the word Philadelphia from it, but it means simply this. I put it on the screen. Hospitality is philos. It means love. And xenos is the Greek word for stranger. You love strangers. So it's interesting in verse 13, he says, I want you to love the saints by giving to them, but I also want you to love the stranger by giving to them. I want you to love both those in the church and those outside the church. 
I don't draw a line whether they're in the church or outside the church. I don't draw a line whether they're believers in Jesus or not believers in Jesus. I don't care what their behavior is. Maybe their behavior is where you abhor the evil, you hate the evil, but you still love them. You still practice hospitality. You still love the stranger even if the stranger is not behaving in ways that we believe is consistent with God's Word and sometimes we're construed and misconstrued as bigots. We still love them. And that's the standard. One of the ways that we contribute to the needs of the saints, I love the way Paul puts it in Second Corinthians. And this is the same offering, same needs. You know, in those days, they didn't have welfare, they didn't have Social Security, they didn't have disability. Uh, if a believer in Jesus is cut out of the system of Rome, then the church had to step up. He says, And for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation, the support of the saints. Same thing he's talking about here in verse 13 contributing to the needs of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, to us by the will of God. When we have committed ourselves to Christ, we can do no less than contribute to the needs of the saints. I'd like for you to hear the story of one of our church families here, the Bookers, how God put it on their heart to love the strangers, but also to contribute to the needs of the saints. And this ministry called Safe Families, where sometimes there are children in our community that need a safe place to go, a harbor where they are cared for and ministered to at great cost to the family that brings them in. So here's a little video story of the Bookers telling how God ministered through them to love the strangers that they brought into their home. Take a look. Safe Families for Children is a program that uh, was started over 10 years ago in Chicago um, when a church just saw the need for parents who were struggling, um, that don't have perhaps the support of family and friends or a church, and uh, the kids of those parents were uh, winding up in the foster care system or on the street, and this church said, you know, this is really the work of the church and the people of the church to step in. I had heard about Safe Families for several years, and it was at the um, ministry fair, I think we call it, where after church kind of went around and, and looked at the different ministry areas. And uh, all of us, including all of our kids, just felt drawn to that. And we, we saw an email. Once, once you sign up for Safe Families, then you'll get emails. So this one was um, three kids living in parks and uh, laundromats. Then uh, a couple weeks later, it came out again, and, and it, it kind of tugged on our hearts. And it was like, okay, we we just can't let these kids sleep sleep on the streets. Both of us felt like God was saying, yeah, this is this is the one. But within I don't know, a couple days, they they brought the kids over. I was actually we didn't know what to expect uh, when the children arrived at our home. Would they be frightened? Would they be crying? Um, would they? clinging and not want to stay, I was expecting those behaviors, and instead, uh, in walks, uh, you know, six-year-old Tremont and sticks out his head and says, hi, I'm Tremont. <laughs> Just adorable as can be. Okay, you have kids dropped in on you, you don't have anything for them. They arrived with pretty much everything they had, which was a small backpack for each one of them. Watching our, our five youngest, those three, and then we have 
students in grade school all swimming in the pool together. These kids uh, never really swam, um, didn't know how to swim, and so our kids were teaching them how to swim, and they were just playing in the, uh, the shallow, and they couldn't get enough of it. Most mornings you'd find um, four or five of them out on the trampoline, just, just jumping and, and being kids. Emma um, said to me after they left, you know, she said, I, I, I taught I taught Tremont to read and to swim. Uh, they felt like they were brothers and sisters to them. Sign up. It's, it's the church being the church. We've allowed the, the government to take over, taking care of orphans, essentially, and that's what we're directed to do. There, there are many other ways to help as well, helping with laundry, helping with a meal. And you can start getting involved and not be a host family, but just help. And, um, you know, people to just say, look, when someone takes in uh, a child or children, uh, we'll be there to, to call in the morning and say, is there anything I can do for you today? It's, it's as simple as that. That's Mark and Brian with uh, Booker. We're so grateful that God used them to minister to these children. And it's a good example of the kind of love that Paul is talking about, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. You can find more information about that. We'd love to be uh, supporting other children who are in a very difficult situation. And it's not just hosting them. There's actually 40 individuals, 40 people that came around them because they would provide, these 40 individuals would provide 10 meals. Every night they needed food for 10 people. So people were bringing in meals to provide for them 10 spots at a time. And there might be a role like that as well. So God challenges us by giving to us opportunities like that. And God then blesses us with this, our challenge to love. Is, I'm going to talk more about this next week, so I'm not going to dwell on it. But he says to us to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. How can I bless a person who has done to me what that person has done to me? How can I bless a person that continues to spite me, that continues to hate me, that continues to hurt me? How can I bless someone like that? You've got to be kidding me, Lord. You're calling me to do that? Next Sunday, we'll give more details on how that happens. Because the basis of this kind of love is this. We express authentic love when we have a heart of humility. Notice how he concludes this section in verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Proud people cannot love this way. Proud people that are hung up on their own issues can't love this way. Proud people that say life is all about me and what I get out of it can't love this way. Proud people who have a standard that I just deserve to be happy can't love this way. Humbled people who recognize that this world doesn't revolve around them but others. They love this way. People who are not haughty looking down on those that maybe are on the street, living in a park, in a car. Those that have done terrible things that I hate, that are evil. We look down on them and judge them. Haughty people who do that, they can't love this way. But humbled people who say, boy, but for the grace of God. Oh, Lord, thank you that you've given me the opportunity to love them. 
Oh Lord, like Mother Teresa, I am, I am a young person when I love people like this. It makes me feel youthful again. That's what she said. Because she's serving the Lord in humility. It comes out of a heart of humility. And when a humbled person begins to love, a humbled person is just drawn to the standards of love, to the motive of love, and the contribution of love to people in need. In fact, it's what the Apostle Paul says about Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. He left the glory of heaven. That's what he says there. He left all the radiance of the glory of heaven, where Christ was clearly seen as God in heaven. He put all that aside. He says, it's not about me, God. Not about me, Jesus said. But I'm going to empty myself of all that I have, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. I'm going to go down and live with men. It's like me coming down to live like my dog. I'm going to come down and be like them, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus in humility was able to love us the way Paul calls us to love others in Romans 12. And as we understand the heart of Christ, as we ab- absorb the heart of Christ, as we put on the character of Christ, we love these people. We hate the evil, but we love the people in sincerity. We love the people in a service to God. We love the people by contributing to the needs that they may have. We love them even if they persecute us. We still love them. We bless them. And we love them because that heart is humble, it's tender, it's genuine. It's authentic. And we live free that way. It's what God called us to do. We're going to receive communion now. As I pray, the leaders are going to prepare themselves. But let this verse ring in your heart and your mind that this communion, the bread and the cup, they symbolize what we're all about. They symbolize the bread symbolizing the body of Christ where He put aside the glory and put on the human flesh. And this cup The cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus where it says He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And let's let this be a moment of of reflection. God, even as the elements are passed, I want to look on the backside and look at that list of love is and what love is not. And say, God, where would you have me grow? As I think in my mind's eye, that person that is so difficult to love, God, which of these areas would you have me grow in today? so I can live to the standard that you've called me to live in. I want Calvary Church to be a church known as a church of love and grace coming out of hearts of humility that just enjoy meeting the needs of those around us. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that as we receive the communion elements now and this this bread where it symbolizes Jesus in heaven emptying himself of the glorious radiance of God to take upon himself human flesh so that he can love us and feel what we feel in life. Father, thank you for this. And the cup as it symbolizes that death on the cross where his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Father, as we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.